Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff and today I'm joined by our editors, Matt and Jero, to talk about some of our favorite mountain bikes that we've tested this year. So this was kind of a weird year for everybody and you know the bike industry certainly experienced some supply chain disruptions and things but we managed to test a ton of bikes actually looking back and so we thought it'd be fun to talk about some of our favorites from the year. So Jero, I'm going to start with you and ask for your list. Which bikes were you able to get to this year? Uh, so this year I tested the, I think the first bike was the DV8 Highlander. Um, I looked back at the photos of that and there were some pictures in the snow. So I'm pretty sure that one was pretty early. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, the, the Kodak Jet. And then during the, our mid travel mashup, I had the Vitus Escarpe or Vitus specialized stump jumper, uh, the Starling Murmur and hmm, was there one more in there? feel like there was <laughs> <laughs> if there was it wasn't very memorable so sorry really to that bike yeah <laughs> well yeah the deviate highlander is an interesting one because that's one of these uh high pivot bikes that's probably one of the first ones we tested this year wasn't it yeah so that was the first first high pivot bike that wasn't a downhill bike that i've been on and it's 140 millimeters rear suspension so it's kind of in the category with like the Forbidden Druid in terms of, you know, there's not a ton of shorter travel bikes out there with that platform. So, right. Yeah, it made for a really unique experience. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like an interesting one. What about you, Matt? Which bikes did you get to this year? Yeah, I'm trying to remember them all too, just because, yeah, I mean, even this year, it's like I'm going to have bikes that I have for review right now, and I probably won't get to them until the beginning of next year. And so it's like they all start to blend together. But, um, I, the earlier ones, the Da Vinci Cobain, a hardtail, um, Rocky mountains, new instinct. They revised their trail bike this year. And I think after that it was the mid travel mashup bikes. So the Ibis Ripley AF, the Norco optic privateer 141 pivot trail 429, Canfield Tilt. Did I say that one? I don't think I said that one yet. <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, Rocky Mountain Power Play, uh, Altitude, and GT Force. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a lot of bikes. And five of those were from the mid-travel mashup. That was a big part of our bike testing this year. And, Drew, I think you had three. Three of your bikes were also those mid-travel sort of trail bikes. Um, I didn't test any trail bikes, at least not for that mashup just due to my freakishly uh, tall size. I can't find a bike that fits me. But I did manage to test, looking back, eight different bikes, which is, I guess, a pretty decent year for me. I tested the Paiga Hyrax, which is a sort of an all-mountain, like mid to longer travel trail bike. Um, the Schwinn Axum, uh, which is a hardtail 
I looked at a couple of different kids' bikes, actually. I didn't ride them myself, obviously, but uh, my son did. Those were the Specialized Rip Rock and the Cleary Meerkat. And then I did a pair of e-bikes this year, the Canyon Spectral On, um, and then also the YT Decoy. And then, let's see, another hardtail in there, the Thompson Hooch Titanium Hardtail. And then the one that I have in for test right now, um, and that I probably won't be able to share my final review for, you know, at least several more weeks. But, um, one that I have been riding is the Alchemy Arctos. And that's a bike that they have basically different travel versions of the same bike. They're all called the Arctos, but there's like a 120 rear travel, a uh, 140, and I think a 160. And I'm on the, the 120, uh, sort of the one that I think they call the down country Arctos. So yeah kind of a diverse group there. It's hard to compare all of those. I think we were talking about this earlier, like for all of us, these are all very different bikes that we tested this year, but yeah, still a lot of fun and interesting to compare different types of bikes like that. So I want to ask you guys first about the most unique bike that you tested this year. And Jarrell, I'm going to start with you. Which which bike really stood out as being like sort of unusual or just really different from some of the bikes on the market? Yeah, I would say first that DV8 Highlander. Um, it's 140 millimeters rear suspension, but just felt like a whole lot more bike than that. And I think part of that might be due to the high pivot uh, suspension design and the rearward axle path. But just in general, like the bike rode really well in the mud and on really rough trails. Uh, I was riding all around uh, my house in Turin, Italy at the time. And mm-hmm. it was surprising that a bike with that little travel could be that capable. And then also like it climbed really well. Like it just did everything really well. I just, I was stoked on it. Like I didn't have any issues with the, the drivetrain, the idler pulley, nothing like, you know, that was all kind of new to me and it all worked great. So. Yeah. Do you think a lot of that performance is due to the idler pulley or was there something about the geometry that kind of maybe helped it out or the build even? It was actually geometry wise, a fair bit smaller bike than I normally want to ride. I think it was 440 millimeter reach mm-hmm. on that medium. And, um, I really like to try a larger version of the bike cause it seemed to do really well at speed already. And mm-hmm. I can imagine that would only get better with a little longer wheelbase. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it what the what the story is. I think there's I think there's something special about the high pivot bikes. Um Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's definitely a trend we're seeing. Yeah. Uh kind of unique on that short of a travel bike too, right? I mean, like most of the time you're seeing them on long travel, but yeah, it also sounds like you kind of saw the merits on a shorter travel bike for a high pivot. Yeah, for sure. I mean, where I you know, I've ridden other 140 millimeter bikes on the same trails with, say, a single pivot, and this bike definitely felt like it held speed better. Like it was able to just keep plowing through things, and especially in really rough sections where a 140 millimeter bike might often run out of its talent, <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> word. You yeah. know, the Highlander just kept going. Like it just really plowed, and it had that really nice uh, Cane Creek. I think it's called Kitsuma shock. It's like super adjustable. So it was also nice to be able to like really dial it in and kind of seems like a bike that, you know, it did take a little while to set it up and it seems like it 
you know, it's going to work differently for different riders. So I felt like with that shock, I was able to get it to ride exactly the way I wanted it to. So that probably played a part as well. Interesting. Yeah, and Deviate is a brand that most of us probably aren't that familiar with. Are they, where are they based and, and what's kind of their thing that they're trying to do? I'm going to be in trouble if I'm wrong about this, but I think they're based in Scotland. <laughs> Sounds right. And yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure if I remember right. So they started out with, I think it was a horse link bike, but they started out with a bike with a gearbox, all carbon. And when I say they, it's just one person who runs the, oh, wow. everything. They might have another employee now, but it's it's a small operation for sure. This young guy who's a who's an engineer, so kind of designed the whole thing and got the company off the ground. And mm-hmm. they are coming out with a long travel version. So they they've since ditched that uh, gearbox bike, and they just have the Highlander right now, and a 140 and a 150 okay. version. And they're coming out with an even longer travel version at some point. I don't know the details on that yet, but yeah, it's on the way. Interesting. Didn't that Highlander TV show have like some Scottish roots? Is that a connection? Or? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there's also just the Scot- Scottish Highlands in general. So I'm just thinking of whiskey to remember where they're from mostly. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. There's some connections there. I probably should have looked that up. My reference is bad American television, so... <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, it makes sense. I think we pieced the puzzle together here without the use of Google. So (laughs) kudos to us. So Matt, tell us which bikes stood out for you as being sort of unique in your test crop this year. Yeah, I would say the GT Force because I just actually sent that one home uh, two weeks ago, maybe, but because that was a high pivot bike too. And it's really like the first high pivot bike that I've spent a lot of time on. Mm Mm-hmm. The Da Vinci Cobain, just because that was unique to me, because I haven't really spent any time on a hardtail in like years. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Canfield Tilt was somewhat of a unique bike as well. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What What about the Canfield was unique? I mean, it's a, an alloy bike. Is that right? Full suspension. Yep. Yep. It's alloy. You know, I mean, just it's a smaller brand you know, their own suspension platform, Canfield Balance Formula. Yeah, and it, I mean, it was just a unique way that they spec the bike, you know, a unique way that it looks, yeah, even a unique way that it rides, I would say. What did you think about riding a hardtail after all these years? Is that Was that fun, or were you like, now I know why I stopped riding hardtails? No, it was okay. Yeah, like, I think maybe I expected to have, like, some big revelation, um, I'm sure it probably depends on the bike too. It was fine. I was okay with sending it back. I was, <laughs> yeah, I'm in no need to like go out and buy a hardtail right now. It was a fun bike though. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, you guys both talked about riding high pivot bikes and yeah, I don't know if that's something that I'm really like, oh, I want to try that, but that did bring to mind for me. The thing I really want to try is a steel full suspension bike and Jero, you tested at least one or two of those this year, didn't you? Yeah, so I was able to get on the Kodak Jet. That's their 140 millimeter bike. It can come with between 100, I think I think it goes 140 to 160 millimeter fork. When I rode, it had 150 millimeter. Yeah, super fun bike. I really enjoyed it. I would say it's probably one of the most fun bikes I've ridden like in a couple of years. 
and definitely the most surprising. Um, I kind of expected a steel full suspension bike to feel heavy and sluggish and lots of other words that aren't super positive, but I was absolutely <laughs> wrong. Like the things like super poppy and playful and um, just a like relatively light bunny rabbit of a bike. It's pretty long in the size medium. It's 467 millimeter reach, which felt perfect. And I would say like, it's playful enough that I wouldn't race anything on it. It's just not for that. Like it's, it's a party bike to go like, just have fun and pop off of things and ride all day and have a good time. Yeah, man. I, now I really want to try one. And yeah, it sounds like, um, yeah, the really unique experience and not, you know, I love being surprised by bikes and trying something. I'm like, Whoa, I had no idea it was going to be like that. So yeah, maybe next year, 2022, for me, the the bike that probably was the most unique, definitely not my favorite bike uh, that I tested this year, but it was the Schwinn Axum, uh, which is like a really affordable budget bike uh, that sold at Walmart for 499 bucks, and it comes with a dropper post at that price. And obviously, it was a hardtail, and... I mean, I rode the bike on some of my normal rides with, you know, a group of friends that I normally ride with. And I was surprised that I was able to keep up and, you know, didn't curse the bike by the end of it. The, the held up the whole time, which is always a good thing. So, you know, we don't get a lot of chances to test bikes like that, you know, every year. And that's a criticism I think that a lot of our readers share is that like, oh man, you guys review all these awesome bikes all the time. You know, what about more affordable stuff? And, you know, this one's on the extreme end. Like this is, this is like uber affordable. I think a lot of us realize that like today in the mountain bike world, affordable, you're talking, I don't know. What do you guys think? Like two grand, 2,500, if you're talking full suspension. Yeah. sounds about right. 2,500, maybe three for a good full suspension bike. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, I'm sure we've said it in reviews of $3,000 bikes, like, oh, this is a good deal or this is affordable. And, and, you know, I'm sure plenty of people will roll their eyes at that. And yeah, it's all relative. But yeah, this is a bike that is, is truly affordable to a lot more people. And yeah, it's interesting to just test that and to see kind of what it's like at that end of the market. Where do you feel like, uh, you know, on a $500 hardtail, where do you feel like the shortcomings are compared to say a $2,000 hardtail or something like that? Like what, what would interfere with you from, from really shredding on it? Yeah. I mean, everything like (laughs) (laughs) it's clear that they, you know, have to skimp on every part of that bike, like from the frame to the components, tire selection. I mean, every single part of it is like designed to be affordable and you know to just meet that spec and it it, the bike actually has a good spec i mean it's a one by drivetrain 29er wheels i actually got the wheels to mount tubeless or the tires to mount tubeless on the stock wheels which wasn't a feature that schwinn advertised but yeah it actually worked out so you know it, it checks all the boxes in terms of like having the specs that people want but they find the cheapest way to get there And so, you know, it's not like, oh, if you just upgrade the fork, you know, it'll be a great bike. Like everything is going to annoy you on that bike eventually. So it is a good starter bike. But yeah, from there to upgrade it, I would just buy a new bike. 
so even the geometry wasn't wasn't necessarily worth it if you like if you ended up loving the bike and wanted to upgrade things no and as that's always disappointing too right like because geometry is something that seems like you know it doesn't cost any money to like give a bike better geometry to give it different head tube angle or you know make the reach a little longer and this one i think one of the innovations in quotes uh with this bike is that it was offered in two sizes previously they only offered it in one size again like to keep that price low they're gonna do whatever they can to you know get the volume high and and keep the price down and so this one they do had different sizes but even then like it's it's not super comfortable definitely not an aggressive bike but yeah it does seem like if you could just kind of tweak your drawings a little bit and like change those angles up it could it could make it a better bike yeah that makes sense well now let's go into some of the bikes that were our favorites this year and i'm going to save our like favorite favorites for the end but first, let's talk about some of our runner-ups for favorite bike of the year. Jero, which one stands out to you and was like one of your favorites? Uh, I'd have to go back to that 140 millimeter steel Kodak Jet. <clears throat> that bike was just a ton of fun. And like I said, it really surprised me. I mean, it's, it's probably the bike that I rode this year that I would buy. Um, I also really like bikes that kind of stand out and not everybody else at the trailhead has. And that one definitely, like, you show up on a steel full suspension bike and people are like, what is that? Like, what's even going on? You know, even in Italy where there are, there's not a lot of them, but there's a few more. Um, You know, still most of the folks at the trail are riding carbon bikes or alloy bikes with huge tubes, so it does stand out. Um, One thing that I noticed with the steel tubes too is like you really need a fender because the tubes are so much narrower that like you're just getting sprayed in the face all the time <laughs> if you don't Interesting. put something on there so but yeah it's a really sweet bike yeah that's a really good endorsement to say it's a bike you would buy joe when you were saying it is a really poppy and playful bike it, is that because the suspension is more progressive or do you feel like you get some return energy out of the flexiness of the steel tubes that's a really good question matt um the suspension platform is not very progressive um yeah it's a linkage driven single pivot it's fairly linear had a really nice air shock um and all of the codics use air shocks so it seems to be kind of a necessary situation for them hmm. um it could be something with the steel i I don't know. I kind of find that hard to believe that it would really like create that much give back, but yeah, maybe, I mean, it was a mystery to me. I really just expected <laughs> the bike to be a little more like sluggish and heavy, but it was not at all. It was just a blast. Um, it had like a normal amount of volume spacers in the shock. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember what the sag was, but stiff. Like I usually mm-hmm. make it on every other bike. So compared like uh, as a comparison, it was, pretty normal um yeah i don't know it's a cool mystery they've figured out something good with these bikes for sure they're really <laughs> yeah i've been surprised on the e-bikes that i tested this year that they do feel really poppy despite like all that weight you know you would think they'd be harder to get off the ground i mean i remember even just the early e-bikes that i would test that was the number one thing i noticed was just like uh 
this thing, you know, it's so heavy. Like I can't even pop off of roots or rocks or things. And I don't know, lately somehow these bikes, despite their weight, like they tend to pop. And I'm like you, Drew. I'm like, I don't know how they do that. Like, I think it's just suspension magic that <laughs> something's going on inside those uh, pressure chambers. But uh, yeah, interesting. And did you notice much difference between the two e-bikes you rode and on those variables or other things like? No, not, not a whole lot, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. the two that I tested are pretty similar in terms of their spec, like, you know, same amount of travel, roughly same weights, same drive system, you know, the Shimano EP8. So yeah, it's interesting that, that they don't have a very different feel. Um, the ones that I tested, but yeah, it's also the kind of thing, you know, I think the more e-bikes that are out there, I think a lot of the brands are going to start differentiating them a little bit more. And also probably, I think as we ride them more, we can kind of understand those nuances a little bit better. Yeah, that makes sense. We'll say this Rocky Mountain I've got right now, the altitude power play is also surprisingly playful for weighing 55 pounds. Ooh, 55. Yeah, I mean even around corners around, um, I, I definitely do not jump it on smaller stuff. Like it has to be worth getting in the air. <laughs> it's not something you yeah. play around, but it, yeah, it, it actually gets up in the air, uh, pretty well for how big it is. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Well, Matt, what about you? What was one of your runner ups this year? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I've got, it's hard to even really pick a favorite just because I've rode so many good bikes this year. You know, I, I have actually still been riding this Canfield Tilt. If you guys can get your bike back any day now, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow, you still have it. <laughs> yeah, and and it's, it's still a super fun bike. Like, I really like it. Uh, it's definitely up there. The Privateer 141, that was really, really good. Yeah, and, you know, the GT Force, too, is still a really good runner-up. Like, if I'm, you know, and I'll save this one for in a little bit, if I'm really just picking one and sticking to it, then I'd say those three were all pretty noteworthy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, now I'm curious to know, were there any bikes that like really bummed you out that you were just like, Nope, this one's definitely bottom of the list or were they all just, just pretty good? Yeah. I mean, they were all good. You know, like the two that I really wasn't super impressed with were the Norco optic and the pivot trail 429. Mm. They're both good bikes i'd say the norco optic the suspension was too progressive for me and that was without uh it had a pretty minimal amount of volume spacers in it and it was still using all the travel but it just ramps up really early and it kind of makes technical riding out here more difficult than it needs to be and yeah the trail 49 also a great bike but I, for the price of it i just it kind of does what I would expect every pivot to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, nothing really surprised me about that bike. It's just like, Oh, here's another good bike from pivot that you're still going to be paying six grand for at a minimum. So <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, Jiro, getting back to your question about sort of the difference between the e-bikes I tested this year, the Canyon spectral on and the YT decoy. I actually, I think the decoy for me has a bit of an edge, over the spectral on, you know, I love the spectral. I think this is, yeah, the second or third spectral I've tested. I really like the like non electric version. I think I picked that as my bike of the year last year, maybe, but you know, I think the, the 
decoy for me is just such a it's such a different bike from like all the other ones that I have in my stable and all the ones that you know I test during the year it's like it really opens up like a new category of riding which I think is really interesting to think about you know like in a lot of ways yeah you really are able to rethink some of the rides that you're going to do and it's going to be able to do rides that you wouldn't want to do on a regular bike. You know, I rode some like really big climbs, some trails that like normally you would either shuttle or you would have to ride like, you know, a 30 mile loop just to do this one downhill. And so, yeah, for me, like the decoy is a runner up because it's not like a bike that I could see replacing all of my bikes or even like some of my bikes it's one that definitely has like its place in terms of like what is good at and what is not good at and so for that reason it's you know it's still so tough to justify the prices of e-bikes for me too this build i tested retails for 7500 bucks which i guess for e-bikes that's it's not terrible but that's that's a whole lot of money if you're used to buying normal bikes yeah it's interesting um when a lot of the argument for e-bikes is that it makes it more accessible for people. <laughs> it's like, well, not in every way. Right. Right. So, Jero, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Matt. Were there bikes that you weren't really stoked on this year that you tested? Uh, yeah, there was one, and it's not to say anything bad about the bike at all. It just wasn't for me and the kind of riding I like to do, and that was the Specialized Stump Jumper. Hmm. I would say the bike is... It's a 130 millimeter bike. And a lot of the times that can be, that can mean a lot of things. Like that can be a bike that you could race a local enduro on, but this just definitely isn't like, it's more of a bike. I feel like it's more of a bike for somebody who wants an almost cross country weight bike. That's a little longer travel and a little more capable. And that's just, it's kind of the opposite direction of how I like to go with bike purchases so it wouldn't be the one that i would pick up but then at the same time like it was a really cool experience because i haven't ridden a bike that light and agile and easy to climb on in years so it was also really fun it's just not a bike i would buy yeah 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 that's definitely a contrarian take on that bike i'm sure a lot of listeners are going to disagree because that is such a popular bike a lot of people own it leah owns one actually she she really likes the stump jumper but like you said it's all about like just finding the bike that fits your riding style and the trails that you have and and all that so yeah that's interesting yeah i think for me maybe the, the evo would be a better choice i don't quite need the enduro but the evo would make a little more sense yeah have you ridden that bike at all i haven't no i'd really like to they sent the wrong size, so I didn't, didn't test it. <laughs> yeah, and they just added an aluminum version of that bike recently, I think, which is cool to see, making that more affordable. Yeah, that's sweet. How about you, Jeff? Were there any bikes that didn't didn't make sense for you? I mean, one unusual situation was the Thompson Hooch titanium hardtail, which, yeah, initially I was like, no. This bike doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, even looking at it on paper, it was kind of like, huh, I wonder, I wonder why it, they spec'd it that way. Cause it, you know, it's a hardtail with 27.5 wheels, um, which is pretty unusual. I mean, almost every hardtail 
these days, unless it's like a really small size is going to be a 29er. And so, yeah, I mean, I found with the 27.5 wheels, it's, it's good at handling technical trails, which I actually ride a lot of that kind of stuff, you know, kind of slow speed tech, um, tight trails and things. But yeah, it still didn't, it also wasn't a great fit. Like it wasn't my size. I think the largest frame size they have is like a large and, you know, I needed like an extra large or extra, extra large. So that didn't help. But fortunately, one cool thing was that I got to try mulleting the bike. So um, that was actually suggested by the brand. They said, you know, a lot of people are finding with this bike, you know, they're the same. They're saying it'd be kind of better if it had 29er wheels. So, you know, why don't you try throwing on a 29er fork and, and 29er front wheel, uh, which I did. And that was, that was cool. A cool experience to ride it sort of both ways and see how that affected things. Um, you know, still didn't make it my favorite bike, did not move it into runner up status by any means, but it did improve the bike for me at least. And, and I can see some of the benefits of, of going mullet on a bike like that. Well, we're going to take a break real quick, but when we come back, we're going to reveal our favorite bikes of the year. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. Okay. I don't have any fancy special effects or sound effects here for like a drum roll, but if I did, imagine it playing right now when I asked Jero, what was your favorite bike of the year? <laughs> oh, there we go. It's, it's actually a bike I haven't reviewed yet. It's going to be a long-term review that will probably be out sometime early next year, and it is the Raw Madonna. Ooh. Uh, and this is Ooh. the V... 2.2 version of the bike. So mm -hmm. this was the this was their first frame. It's an alloy 29er with 160 millimeters of rear travel and 170 millimeter fork. And they haven't changed a ton um, since they since they started making this bike. But it's like small things to make the shock mounts stronger and lose some weight in the front triangle and. Kind of just little things like that. It seems like they largely like the way the bike started out. So, yeah, interesting. And yeah, sorry. Did you say you had tested the first version of the bike, or is this the first time you've been on a raw Madonna? This was the first one for me. Yeah. So I did write a little while ago. Wrote a comparison between this bike and the Privateer 161, and there are some notable differences between the two. And I wrote that before I had had a chance to ride the Madonna and those, those seemingly small differences make a pretty big change in the way the bike rides. So bottom bracket's only five millimeters lower, but it feels, it feels significant. I didn't, I really didn't think it would. I didn't think I would notice anything at all, but it's, it's pretty noticeable. Like this bike feels super low. It was really good in the turns going downhill and anytime things get really rough, like you can really feel it's got a 35 millimeter bottom bracket drop. So yeah, it's, it feels pretty sweet. And then 
on the raw, I'm also riding a size large that has a 480 millimeter reach. Whereas on the 161, it was on the medium or the size two, uh, it's 470. So, I mean, this is the longest bike I've ever ridden. And I'm sure some people would say it's too long for me, but it, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I don't care. I'm having a good time. Yeah. So. <laughs> Interesting. How long have you been testing it? I mean, you're, yeah, you're already saying it's your favorite of the year and you're not even done testing it. Yeah. I've probably been on it for like three months now and through a few different shocks, a couple different forks, a few wheel sets. So, wow. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's the test mule at the moment and it's doing a great job. I had just got done testing an air shock on it and it was a ton of fun with that. It started out with coil, but the air shock dropped, I think almost 400 grams from the bike and obviously added some pop in the end stroke that was really fun. So not, not fully settled on which shock I would put on it and just leave it on there, but I don't know. It's cool to have options too. So, yeah, that's awesome. Cause you were talking about that, that article you wrote between the privateer 161 and the, the raw was spurred by somebody's comments on the trail, right? About how the privateer is like a copy of the Madonna. Right, right, yeah. And, I mean, I've met the engineers of both of those brands, and I can tell you I don't I don't think anyone, either of them would take kindly to that comment. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think they both, they both know that they designed something pretty unique. Another cool difference in the Madonna is that you can adjust the chainstay length, so the the rear axle kind of has a flip chip, but you you have to get a separate flip chip for it. It's not like you just flip it over. It's not a flip chip. It's an insert. Yeah, so it can go between 440, 445, and 450 millimeters. And right now, the one I'm on has four. It's at 445, and feels great. I don't. I'm sure I'll try it in different spots eventually, but at the moment, it feels really good. Yeah. And also, it's it's interesting because I believe you started testing this in Italy. And now you have the bike in Bellingham. Are the did you make any adjustments to the bike based on the trails? And like, does it handle? Are you finding it handles one place better than another? Yes, <laughs> the trails <laughs> here are definitely more purpose built, less rocky, less rough, hmm. shorter. At least the stuff I've had a chance to ride so far. I certainly haven't ridden everything. I've only been here a little over a month, so yeah. I mean. I was running the suspension a little stiffer in Italy just because everything was so much rougher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm able to run the suspension a touch softer, a little bit faster um, cause I don't need quite as much stability. So I can speed it up a little bit and just give the bike a little different ride character. Uh, otherwise yeah, it's, it's pretty much set up the same. I think I dropped the bars down a little bit just cause I was just riding less steep stuff here. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Would lengthening the chain stays make sense for you now? Like with these faster, like more wide open trails, you think? There's a ton of features built here in Bellingham. So I think I might actually go shorter just to get the bike up off the ground even easier and to make manuals and things like that even, even easier. Um, whereas I think riding in Italy, because it's, it is rougher and the tracks, the the descents in particular are longer. I think having that extra stability would be nicer there. So yeah, I might, I might try something shorter here eventually. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you note 
noticed, you know, this five millimeter difference in the bottom bracket drop. And like, you know, whenever I hear numbers like that, or, you know, I write them or say them myself, you know, I like imagine trying to show that between my fingers, like how, how much is five millimeters? And it's like, it's tiny. Like you can't even get your fingers that close without them basically touching. So yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. Like how those small changes can make a difference. Yeah, it's cool. I really didn't expect it to. I was like, there's no way I'm going to feel five millimeters of bottom bracket drop, but I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that also goes to your point about the two bikes, you know, maybe they look the same on paper, but, but when people say the same, they're like, Oh, you know, the, the bottom bracket heights are within five millimeters. And it's like, do you know how much five millimeters actually changes things? I mean, it, it can be a lot. Yeah, and particularly on like a, an important fulcrum point, like the rear axle or, I mean, bottom bracket's not necessarily the same, but it's it feels noticeable. Another thing that's really cool about this bike, I mean, it comes in the raw finish or black like the Privateer, and it's I really like the raw because it always looks the same way it looked when it was new. There's nothing to really scratch up, and if you do scratch it up, it just takes an SOS pad to fix that. Cool. And it's got something like 200 grams of hardware in the frame. Like they did not skimp on any of the bearings or the bearing caps or anything. Like this thing is built to ride all year hard in the mud and not do any maintenance. Like it's, it's, it's a cool setup. Like there's, there's no weird pinch points where the bike eats itself. All of the cable and, and hose routing is external. Yeah. It's just, it's definitely set up to stay quiet and not require a lot of work. Yeah. Is that a bike that is sold like all over the world? Like, is that something that is available in the U S I believe it is it either it is or it's going to be. Yeah. I'm not, I can't remember what the exact story on that is. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And so without a shock, it sells for right around 2000 euros. So it's a little bit more expensive than the privateer 161 but mm-hmm. i mean if you're choosing between the two and you like things about the the madonna it's a bike that's also going to last a long time so maybe that extra cash will spread out yeah and and it's an alloy frame right so it's it's definitely going to be cheaper than carbon where you would be looking at paying probably closer to 3000 euros right yeah for sure yeah what's it way uh where you've got it set up the way I have it set, well, the last time I weighed it, I had a coil on it, the Olin's coil and the new Olin's 38, which for my weight, like I could drop some weight and put a 36 or oh, just a lighter fork on it. Uh, it was like, what was it? 17 kilograms. So I don't know what that is in pounds, but it's a heavy bike for sure. Like you gotta be halfway fit to want to pedal this thing. Definitely. It's a, it's a little, the build at least, and the way I have it built up with downhill tires and uh, or downhill casings and, and the 38 and the coil. Um, I mean, it's, it weighs more than the way I had the, the privateer built up, but I don't think that's, I, I can't remember the frame weights, but I don't think that's a question of the frame. It's actually the fork and the tires more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Jero, you don't usually like to talk about the weight of bikes and yeah, Matt too. We were just having like a group chat the other day about bike weights and you guys both seem to be of the mind that it's not, it's not super important, you know, 
And Drew, you've said it to me many times. Like, I don't care what it weighs. Like, I really don't know. Seems reasonable. Like, yeah, I, I say that, but then I get on an e-bike and I'm like, Oh God, I hate how heavy this thing is. It's terrible. <laughs> it just feels right, like okay. Pain. So there's a limit. Yeah. What did like, like in the U S I feel like kind of right now are in U S measurements, 30 pounds is kind of the, the cutoff point where we're like, okay, you know, weighs close to 30. So that's good. What's the like metric equivalent to that? Is there like a kilogram equivalent that people are trying to hit? That's like a nice round number, like 15 kilos. Is that like, yeah, under, under 15 kilos for a trail bike. But I mean, this is truly like an enduro race bike. Nobody, I don't think anybody expects their enduro race bike to weigh 15 kilos, 16, 16 and a half is pretty normal. This one's a touch heavier because I have a bunch of downhill parts on it, but yeah, they're not, they're not necessary, especially for my weight. The bike could be, the bike could weigh, I would imagine 16 or 16 and a half somewhere in there. Yeah. That's always an interesting part of the conversation too, is that the build is what contributes so much to the weight. I mean, the frame itself, frames could vary between different bikes by at most what, like a couple pounds maybe. And where you see the real differences is the components that you put on the bike. For sure. Yeah. I mean, just tires can be the difference of a pound or two, depending on what tires you're using. Yeah. Right. Well, Matt, fill us in on your favorite. What's your favorite bike of the year? Were you able to choose just one favorite? I chose one. <laughs> Reluctantly. It, yeah. I mean, it was deserving for this bike for sure, but yeah, a lot of other bikes were very, very close seconds. Yeah. And I think for, for what it is and, you know, considering how much it costs, how it climbs, how it descends. Mm -hmm. And I think like, you know, those two in relation to each other, how good does it climb and how good does it send for its travel mm -hmm. were really important. But yeah, so my pick was the Ibis Ripley AF. Yeah. Which is like, you know, sort of a, I mean, they made it to be, yes, more aggressive than the regular carbon fiber Ripley, but also more affordable. And so like the highest build, which is what we tested is like the SLX build that is 4,100 and they start at just over three grand. Mm. But yeah, I mean, for a four grand bike, it was great. Like it didn't feel like a four grand bike, you know, it's 120 mil rear travel with 130 fork and you know, on the topic of weight, it weighed 32 pounds. It's a 32 pound cross country tra uh, trail bike. And you really just, it carried its weight so well, like you really don't notice the weight on that bike when you're climbing. And so, yeah, if you were to swap out drivetrain brakes, you know, some other stuff to lighten it up the wheels for sure. Um, you could easily get it to like 29 pounds. I'm sure, um, still aluminum frame and that thing would climb even better. So yeah, it was a hard pick, but I, again, I think for what it is, like how it climbed and how it descended for a 120 mil bike that is kind kind of heavy for, for that travel. Um, yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I, I remember that was one of my favorite bikes. I tested the carbon version of the Ripley right around the time that it came out a few years ago. And yeah, I love that bike too. That was definitely a bike I feel like I could own, I could see myself owning. Had you had a chance to test the carbon version to compare it to the aluminum? 
No, uh uh-uh. No, I read the Carbon Ripmo last year. Um, But yeah, very, very different. I think that's the last Ibis I rode. Yeah, what were some of the like comments or things that you heard from people at the trail or even like based on your review? Were people interested in the spike or like what what were they wanting to know about it? Yeah, totally. Ibis is a a brand is really popular in Colorado where I'm at. Mm. And so people were stoked to see it and asked about it and this and that. And I think already it's like, ugh, like I start to cringe when so many people start to talk about a bike and I'm like, I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> like yeah. there's all these other cool bikes, but yeah, it was true. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, it's a great bike and super comfortable or comfortable to get along with. You know, I don't know if this is your experience, but first ride, like it felt like it was home, you know, didn't need to do a bunch of adjusting or anything like that. It was just, you got on it, you feel comfortable and you kind of feel like you know what it's going to do. Like you trust it um, going into trail features for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I almost wonder, yeah, now that you mentioned that, is that like a universal thing? Do you feel that way, Jero, when you step on like a 120 travel bike or is that weird for you? Because for me, it does. It feels super natural and, you know, like, like really familiar. To be honest, I couldn't tell you the last time I rode a 120 millimeter bike. So (laughs) I'm not really sure. Um, I definitely feel more comfortable on longer travel bikes just because that's what I ride. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think that like at home feeling happens a lot more on like a 140 or 160 millimeter bike. Mm. Yeah. Well, all right. I'm gonna have to work on that theory then that that's like the natural, you know, like place that a mountain bike wants to be. So maybe not, but, uh, (laughs) Yeah. So the, the geometry on that bike, I imagine it's, it's fairly progressive, but it's also probably not too crazy, right? Yeah. Um, it's a little bit, the head tube angle is slacker than the carbon fiber, uh, Ripley. Mm. I think the wheelbase might be a little bit longer, but it's like a 65 and a half degree head tube angle, 75 and a half degree seat tube angle. And yeah, for 120 mil travel bike, like I think that's spot on. I don't think you need to go crazy there, mm-hmm. but it was enough to keep it, you know, really sharp and responsive and so confident enough to where when you start to pick up some speed, that thing feels pretty stable. Yeah. And you mentioned that the bike, it's not cheap by any means, but it's still, you know, kind of middle of the road around four grand. Is there anything on that bike that you felt like you would want to upgrade or was it, was it pretty good to go as it, as it is? Yeah. Good question. I would upgrade the brakes, um, just because they're like Shimano's, what are they like? B R M T four twenty nameless brakes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't speak Shimano. You know, some big, uh, combination of letters and numbers and i think they felt fine you know it wasn't again it's not like a big heavy bike and i wasn't riding really steep trails so i don't think i needed the stopping power of Mm -hmm. you know something much bigger but yeah i think a slightly more powerful brake on there would be nice Mm -hmm. but even the wheels because it came with 2.6 inch tires front and rear um i think the wheels were maybe 35 mil internal if i'm right oh wow that's pretty wide they're ibis brand uh hubs and rims and they actually felt really good like i get yeah i get super tired of even on this gt i have it's six grand and the hubs on them like sram hubs are just complete crap i mean the engagement is so bad yeah uh, but even on this ibis i the 4100 bike mm-hmm. uh, and the engagement was actually really really good for uh yeah an oem 
kind of factory wheel set yeah. in at that price point. Like good engagement, the wheels felt good. No, I don't think I'd really I don't think you'd really have to upgrade upgrade much on that bike. Yeah, and the two point six inch tires, that's a good choice for you. I yeah, I mean I would probably do a two point four in the back if that was my that was my own bike. Mm-hmm. And Matt, did you have to mess with the cable routing at all? I'm curious how how much fun that was inside the down tube. No, and that was you know, another kind of sticking point for that bike is so because I was testing that one with Chris and she's a little bit shorter than I am, we were adjusting the seat post height a bit on it. And so just because of the way it's routed from basically near the bottom of the seat tube into the bottom of the down tube, it creates this really weird bend in the cable and it makes it really hard to uh, adjust the height of the dropper post. So I don't think it would be a big deal if it were my only bike and that was just kind of you know set the post height you're not messing with the cable trying to get it to move back and forth inside the frame but other than that yeah i mean it was it was kind of a pain and also not like a ton of space for water bottle uh mounting down there like the cable itself interfered with that and those cables are all loose in there did you have any trouble with them making noise yeah actually i think they might have been a little bit noisy not nothing terrible though or no yeah, I mean, I guess that's just the pitfall of, like, that is your routing, is your entire down tube, you know? Yeah, I feel like there are tips and tricks, right? Maybe some that you've shared, Drew, for, like, quieting those cables. I mean, you can't you can't totally eliminate that sound, but you can, you can reduce it a bit, right? Yeah, for sure. You can put, like, foam tape kind of stuff around them, or you can put zip ties at different spots before you put the housing in there so the zip tie kind of pushes against the sides and doesn't let it rattle around and you could spray it full of foam inside. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, great <laughs> uh, stuff. I mean, you could do a lot of things, but... Yeah, interesting. Or you could just put everything on the outside and make it a lot easier. <laughs> there is that. Right, yes. And there, there have been opinion articles written about just such a thing. <laughs> there may be more in the future. yeah so for me i'm surprised actually um that you guys picked the bikes you did i mean not surprised not like you're wrong just i'm surprised because i also picked an alloy bike for my favorite of the year um and so yeah all three of us picked aluminum bikes and for me it was the pyga hyrax and it's a a 150 140 millimeter travel bike like I said, an alloy frame. And initially when I saw the bike, you know, it's like a raw kind of finish. So it's like just the kind of silver gray finish. And I was like, man, this bike looks pretty basic. Like it looks like it's from the nineties. Like, I don't know if I'm really going to like it, but I ended up loving it. And th- that was one I tested early in the year, probably like January or February. And I think even at the time I said like, this might be one of my favorites of the year. And it did it did end up being my favorite because yeah, it's just, it's just a really versatile bike. I think for the trails that I ride, that's like the perfect kind of upper end, you know, like I ride hardtails a lot, um, on, you know, sort of more local trails. But then when I go up to the mountains, I think for me, for my style of riding, that's about the right amount, 140 millimeters of rear travel. And, uh, yeah, this bike just it did it all for me. It's, weighs i think around 32 pounds which isn't light i'm nice of yeah well to you guys it is but yeah i'm the (laughs) 
I'm the the weight weenie of the group, I guess. And yeah, I thought that was heavy, seemed heavy to me, but yeah, didn't end up really affecting the performance of the bike or, or even the ride feel. Um, yeah, it just felt really good to me. It's a really long... You said 32 pounds? Yes, it's about 32 pounds for the extra large. And the build that I tested, it's priced just under five grand, like 4900 and the build, it had like a really nice drivetrain. I think it had like some X01 pieces to it. So they really like spent a lot on the drivetrain. Also the cockpit on this bike. I think they customized it a bit for this test review. You know, they put some, some more blingy stuff on it than usual. But at the same time, like we, this year has been weird because we get test bikes in and like, the build is nothing like what they have on their website because they just can't get parts. But this one happened to have yeah, a really high-end cockpit. But then the suspension on it was pretty mid-range. It wasn't anything super special. And so, I mean, I think it, that's actually all the more impressive to me that it rode as well as it did with sort of the mid-level suspension kit. And, you know, I was able to get an extra large, which is always always good for me and so they're able to include a 200 millimeter dropper, which is awesome. And oh, I think the bars too were like super wide, like 810s or 820s or something. Um, and even that felt good. I mean, I think I probably a lot of why I liked it is just because it fit so well. It has a super long reach, 510 millimeters. So yeah, that was that was a really really good bike. That was one that I was sad to have to send back. Yeah, that's that's cool yeah, looking really for sure. Kind of, uh, did you uh, did you try and fit anything between that big brace on the seat tube and the top tube? <laughs> like a <laughs> no, bunch. I didn't. It's huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like I said, it's not like the best looking bike, but yeah, looks looks aren't everything, right? It it might look better than the little animal that it's named after. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a weird name, and it's the brand for those who aren't familiar. I wasn't familiar um, before reviewing this bike. They're based in South Africa and the company was actually started by Patrick Morewood, who was a downhill racer who had his own brand of bikes uh, called Morewood for many years. And then, uh, yeah, he eventually I think sold that company and then started Piga at some point. And so, yeah, the bikes have this sort of gravity, heritage i guess we could say um even down to their bikes that aren't the longest travel or anything so yeah it's an interesting brand it was fun to test out and and to ride one that i wasn't very familiar with beforehand yeah that's a good travel range for me that kind of 140 150 fork Mm -hmm. good for pretty much anything yeah another bike that i mentioned that i have in for review is that alchemy arctos and I've only gotten a couple rides in on that one, but for me, um, it's got, it's got sort of a similar feel, even though the bikes on paper are very different. It seems to be like the Piga Hyrax, like well suited for the trails that I ride and the style of riding that I do. So I'm, I'm anxious. I've only done like local trails with it so far, but I'm anxious to see how it does on sort of some bigger trails and yeah, get up, get up into the mountains with it this fall. Yeah, that'll be cool to hear about. Definitely see some of those around here. But they, yeah, it seems like they went a while without 
really updating their bikes and now they've basically updated their whole mountain line. Yeah. Yeah. That was like a long press release where they're like, we have all kinds of new bikes and we've updated all of them. And yeah. Yeah. Somebody, somebody hit the lottery or something. They got a lot of money all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. must be that bike boom. Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got to get on this. But yeah. Yeah. That, that one, that one should be a lot of fun. Well, cool. I think we've covered all of our favorite bikes that we tested this year. Of course, we've got even more planned uh, to test next year. We've even got bikes right now that we're testing. And so you're going to want to be sure to follow single tracks uh, to see the latest reviews as we publish them and also to subscribe to our YouTube channel uh, where we do video reviews of all of these bikes that we're talking about. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.